Welcome to That's Podcasting, a movie musical podcast. I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. In this month, we're taking a hard, hard left, uh, a big detour. Throughout the beginning of this of this podcast, we have been discussing mostly classic musicals. Yeah, we took a couple off-road tours. We yeah. went to like with a Sing Street when we did our favorites. Correct. But for the most part, we've been in the Gilded Age, if you will, of musicals. Exactly. Even, you know, A Hunchback of Notre Dame, which we started with, is still a musical in the classical sense. But yeah, think more Sing Street for the next month. Because we are uh, going to get rough and rowdy, baby. Yeah, we're going to tear up a hotel room, baby. Yeah, we're going to... We're going to, you know, uh, get a terrible drug addiction and then get it all pumped out of our stomach and then have a great behind the music uh, about it and reunite the rest of the band because we are talking about rock and roll musicals or really more to the point musicals about popular music or starring popular musicians. There's a lot of them. Uh, hell, the Beatles made four in a row in the 60s alone, so uh, we could do an entire month just of Beatles movies. Ooh. But we will be starting, I said rock and roll, but then I went back and said pop, because we are not starting with a rock and roll musical. We are no, starting not. with disco, baby. Yep. <laughs> Where were you? Uh, the good old days. Uh, the bygone era of the late 70s. Of course, in Hollywood music, in in Hollywood movies, it will be forever immortalized with Saturday Night Fever. Uh, also, disco kind of made a little bit of a comeback. I feel like over the last decade, uh, maybe about five years ago, especially with the Daft Punk album, uh, yeah, uh, with uh, Get Lucky and the, what was the uh, Random Access Memories was the album. I feel like disco kind of made a bit of a comeback, and disco you know- and, and, and the whole mindset of what disco was and what disco represented i think completely changed over the last maybe 15 years or so well i feel like people often confuse funk and disco there's that too so i think what we're getting a lot of now is funk but it's being attributed to disco because it's being made with electronic instruments yeah yeah so like people are making like I, I saw the Daft Punk album as being a funk album, mm-hmm. but because it's made with so ma- so much production, it's more akin to what people would call disco because of that. But there is a weird line in between the two, but you are right in which, for one reason, and that is dance music always comes back. Yes, dance music always comes back, despite what... Eminem said back in the day that nobody yeah. listens to techno. No, in fact, more people are listening to techno now than, you know, the last oh, yeah. five shitty Eminem albums. So, yeah. And also, uh, I will quote uh, Jimmy Pardo, uh, the great Jimmy Pardo of Never Not Funny fame, where he even said, you know, uh, yeah, rock and roll died. Dance music is the one that stayed. It's wild, isn't it? It's really yeah. wild. Uh, and yeah, we're going to get our Jimmy Pardo on if you're a Never Not Funny fan uh, at the end yeah. of this podcast uh, as we're going to dig into some of the biggest hits of the era, the week that this movie comes out. And the movie that we're talking about is Can't Stop the Music, the 1980 disco musical. And I used big old air quotes because the people who made this movie were like the musical extravaganza of the disco era. This is going to be the next big musical. And about halfway through, I went, did we make a mistake? 
is this a musical? I don't feel like this is a musical. Everyone told me this was a musical. Where is it? Yeah. Uh, alas, it is It is a musical in the loosest of terms. Yeah. And the thing is, Paul, even though maybe in retrospect, if I had known exactly, I'd never seen this movie. I just saw Village People musical and I went, I'm in. I am yeah. so 100% in. Um, maybe we wouldn't have covered it, but I'm glad that we watched it because whoo doggy, what a yeah. movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know how much research you did. Uh, did you do any research into the director, Nancy Walker? I did a little bit that this okay. is her one and only major motion picture that she directed. She also directed episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show and it's spinoff Rhoda. Of course, she is what she's uh, Rhoda's mom in the Mary Tyler Moore show. She yeah. has a much bigger role in the spinoff. Yeah, she's in the movie Girl Crazy with Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland. She is. Uh, she had quite a career as a as an actress and comedian on stage, screen, everything. Basically, super uh, successful woman in in the film industry and in television. And yeah, it's kind of interesting that her name never really gets brought up. Maybe yeah. it's because she made a bomb, but That's you know it. who hasn't made a bomb. Right, exactly. It's just that this was her one and only thing, and it happened to be a huge bomb. And it really goes into the whole era of disco and, like, the disco sucks and disco demolition night and all that stuff. And how I think at a younger age, especially growing up in the 90s where, like, disco was still a punchline, how you didn't understand, like, the what the dark underbelly of what they're actually saying. Yeah, this came out, like... This would be like if if we were to go ahead and make a movie. Skrillex the movie in yeah. 2020. Yeah, we'd be like, okay, that's that's kind of passe at this point. Yeah. What's the reason yeah. for this? It was past disco. Disco was done. Now, yeah, but uh, it, it happened really fast, first of all. Like, they're making this movie, and it goes from disco's at the top to a year later, disco's yeah. done. Like, disco's completely done. And again, I think a big part of it is there is a lot of homophobia around it, as disco was a really uh, inclusive community, especially to all sorts of sexual orientations, to women. I saw a big thing that they were advertising for this movie in as they were building up the hype. This is the most expensive movie ever directed by a woman. They were really hyping that up, so... Now they do gloss over a lot of uh, a lot of what the village people actually stood for, a lot of the messages for the LGBTQ community, and they don't really touch that at all. If you were to tell me a musical about the village people would have zero gay content in it, I would be fucking shocked. I was like, "Where is it? Where is it?" I'm, I was waiting for it. I was like. I mean, don't get me wrong, we get to see Felipe Rose's ass cheeks over and over again, which, hey, dude works out, I get it, totally, totally worth it. And I mean, Steve Gutenberg rocking that uh, white this overalls is like with no peak shirt. Gutenberg. He's looking like a snack. This is like, yeah. Um, no, but I don't remember what the village people look like, so I was pleasantly surprised to find out that that's the actual village people in the movie. I, I had no, I, I thought, oh, okay, they got some guys to play the village people. And then I looked and I went, oh no, that's the village people, that's amazing. In which case, I will say, Various acting abilities uh, between them. Yes. The star, by the way, is Felipe Rose. Yes. Him and I would say, uh, was it Glenn Hughes, a.k.a. Leatherman. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Leatherman stan. 
after this movie. My favorite moment would be, uh, leather men don't get nervous. Yes, they do. So, <laughs> my God, my favorite line of the whole movie. My, the, my favorite line. I died. I thought it was great. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? Um, I see a lot of people, you know, like, oh, this is... You know, this got Raspberry Awards and all that. I'm sorry, this is can't be fun. The only thing that's keeping this from being like an amazing, like retrospective look and like fun, almost like Rocky Horror esque campiness, is the fact that they ignore all the gay, yeah, everything. They ignore the gay rights, they the characters to the point where like women are like flirting with them and they're flirting back with women in the movie. And I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> I, I mean, it's 1980. It's just, it's still at a point where the discussion about homosexuality is just hasn't gone, it hasn't really started yet, really, in a lot of ways. So actually, not only is the movie too late, it's too early. Right. Because if the movie would have came out you know, like in the 90s or in the 2000s, oh. and it was like this big gay production, and it was, and like, and it it's was like, like a throwback to the era. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. It would have worked. Like this is a like this is a movie I say remake this movie. Oh, 100%. And the thing that is also holding this movie back is it's a movie about the village people where the village people are used as props essentially. They're not yeah. the characters. And that might have to do with is an audience going to be as big as the village people were? Is an audience going to be accepting of, you know, a group of, what, six uh, gay men who are, uh, are they going to be accepting of them when they see them in all their glory rather than just singing on a stage for them? And in 1980, I'm sure a yeah. lot of Hollywood execs uh, were not ready to take uh, the dive on that. Although if I were to give them full benefit of the doubt, which is probably giving them more credit than they deserve... It's it's possible they did not believe the acting chops of the village people would be enough to carry a movie. Oh, and Bruce Jenner is. is? The thing is, you could see, like I said, that the star is Felipe Rose. Right. And so they go, you're in the whole movie. Like, he's like in from the beginning. Yeah. Boom. You're in the movie. Like, you're the guy. Uh, you're going to be the one that, like, we, we kind of center around that's in the village people. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. Bruce Jenner's not, not good in this movie. Uh, but... I really enjoyed Valerie Perrine, a.k.a. Miss Tessmacher from uh, oh, Superman yes, and Superman 2. Of course. Yeah, she's the main character, one of the main characters in the movie. Yes. She plays Samantha Simpson. I thought she was fantastic. Yes. I thought she was hilarious. And uh, also, it, what's it called? Uh, I compare to another one of my favorite characters uh, from Seinfeld, the brawless wonder, Sue Ellen Mischke. <laughs> <laughs> That scene right in the beginning, I could not help but think, okay, a woman walking around New York, brawless, and I'm just and I'm just picturing Elaine Bennis going, she's a menace to society. <laughs> hey, it was still they shot this movie in 1979, so oh, yeah. no, but it just made me think of the Seinfeld episode. I, know like, I can imagine Kramer passing by with Jerry Seinfeld driving the car, and then they crash the car because they're distracted. <laughs> Sue Ellen Mischke, oh, who actually. Even crazier than that, Cody, that I just made that connection, Sue Ellen Mischke would go on to play Lana Luther and Lex Luthor's mother in Supergirl. The I'll series. be damned. <laughs> and now we've made the circle is complete. Ah, uh, yes. So let's dig into a little bit more into the background of this movie. As I mentioned, summer of 79, disco is still king. Uh, especially after the incredible success of Saturday Night Fever, Hollywood is still looking to cash in. At this point, again, the, it is insane, the drop-off. 
how you go from June of 79, disco is like eight of the top 10 singles on the charts. And literally a month later or two months later, it vanishes. It's just yep. gone. Uh, and we'll talk a little bit about why. Agent turned producer Alan Carr was the man with the vision to bring to life what he called singing in the rain for the disco crowd. Again, this he was a hype machine. Alan Carr is a hype machine. Honestly, though, he had reason to boast. He had just produced his first movie, which was 1978's Grease, uh, the highest grossing film of that year. One of the most successful films of all time at that point. He's also the man responsible for casting Olivia Newton-John in that movie, his then-client. Bronte Woodard, who co-wrote Grease with Carr, was also brought on to help with the film's script. By the way, the first draft was written by Hollywood Squares legend Bruce Valanche. Ooh. Just like to throw that out there. Carr had an incredible eye for talent, by the way, not only discovering Olivia Newton-John, but also Steve Gutenberg, who is making, I think this is his film debut, uh, also discovered Michelle Pfeiffer and Mark Hamill. In short, Alan Carr basically is, thinks his shit don't stink right now, and he has good reason for that. So what better way to keep that hot streak going than with a movie starring one of the most popular musical groups of the time in the most popular genre of the time, The Village People. The group is still basking in the glow of their most successful album, Cruisin', released just a year prior to production. That album also includes the band's most popular song. We all know it. You've heard it a million times. If you've gone to any sporting event, YMCA, which reached number one in over 15 countries, didn't reach number one in the U.S. Can you believe that? I had no idea. Hmm. Went as high as number two. Doesn't really matter. It was still a giant hit, and it was also one of only 44 singles to sell 10 million or more physical copies all time. Uh, with the group's theatrics, their costumes, their continued success in 1979, uh, they had In the Navy comes out in 1979, so they're still huge. Making them the focus of a disco musical seemed like a no-brainer in hindsight. This would be a sort of biography about the band. As you mentioned, stars Valerie Perrine of Superman fame. Olivia Newton-John was the first choice, but she decided to go make the other disastrous disco musical of the of 1980, Xanadu. How in the world did this movie and Xanadu come out at the same exact time? Well, I guess, you know what? That's a classic case of uh, Armageddon and Deep Impact or... Bugs Life and Ants, like, it's this is what happens. Cody, you know what else came out? This came out in 1980? 1980. The Apple also came out, another disastrous uh, musical. See, this is what it is. It's at 1978 at the height of it. What, when did uh, Saturday Night Fever comes out, what, 1977? 76? Let's see, I'll fact check that right yeah. now. 77. So it comes out in 1977. So you'd imagine Hollywood execs at that point are going, we need our Saturday Night Fever. And start getting the the minds together in late 77, early 78. Start production around late 78, early 79. And then the movies come out a year later and, oh no, Disco's dead. <laughs> Whoops, missed the boat. Should have done a little sooner. Hey, Fame also came out in 1980. God, did it really? Yeah, we could have done an entire month on just 1980. Just 1980. <laughs> the one year. Yeah. One year. Good lord. Yeah, I, also with Olivia Newton-John almost cast in this movie, and again, Nancy Walker, who had experience with, on movies with Mickey Rooney and Judy, Judy Garland, like, and the whole, this is going to be singing in the rain, but for disco, 
I think there was a different kind of movie originally in mind. That it was going to be a traditional musical with Olivia Newton-John getting a couple songs. And obviously things fell apart. Uh, also because Cheetah Rivera was originally cast in this movie of West Side Story fame. And yeah, I, I would suspect they thought they were going to make a different movie. And then as people started dropping out, they realized the only people we have to sing are the village people. No. Well, plus everyone is definitely loaded up on cocaine. So much cocaine consumed in this movie. 100%. The rest of the cast is a group of characters that might even make a band featuring a leather man and a cowboy blush. Uh, soon to be star Steve Gutenberg, Tony Award winner Tammy Grimes, and as mentioned, Olympic gold medalist, uh, then known as Bruce Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner. Initially, Broadway legend Cheetah Rivera, as I mentioned, and Andy Warhol muse Pat Ast were also set to star. Uh, they were on the original press release for the movie, but dropped out. Also, like, I always think about this, like, back in the late 70s, like, Bruce Jenner was huge. Huge. Yeah. Like, he won the gold for the decathlon, which is an event an event with many events in it so it is really impressive and i think he was like the first american to win it in a long long time even still it, it's kind of amazing to me that the guy who won gold for the decathlon was like a massive massive star and sensation for a while after he won and i guess i'm just like maybe yeah. maybe i'm ignorant to how much the olympics struck a chord with people back then it's, I find the constant popularity in that era surprising. I think, this is just hypothetical here, you know, this is just my idea, you know, please, this does not reflect the, 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 the viewpoint of that's, music, that's podcasting, a movie musical podcast. Go on. Av available on all things. No, uh, I think uh, America loves to embrace one Olympic athlete at a time. Oh, no, you're 100% right. Because Phelps fever was real. Yep. For a long time. And I feel like that's what we do. We graft towards like one person and we just stay with it. And I don't know why. But at least with <laughs> Phelps, I got it. Phelps was doing things like every Olympic. Like he was at a lot of Olympics winning mm -hmm. all the time and making history. Like he will go down. He's the most decorated athlete in, in, in Olympic history. Like mm -hmm. I get that with him. But one gold medal. And again, I've never won a gold medal. I'm not trying to say, like, oh, you got one gold medal. Big deal. Like, it's a huge deal. I think it's just, it's a, it's a full hype machine. He's a good-looking, yeah, that's, that's strapping white too. dude who won a thing. And they're like, hey, why don't we try to also make him a movie star? Because. That's what they, that's what they do. Yeah. That's what they do. I, I think there was a, uh, a typo on one of the IMDb facts that had, like, the producer of the film starring an airplane, but I was like, that can't be right. It's got to be Jenner was originally supposed to star an airplane, and then they recast it for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm. So, again, I don't know if that's 100% true, but just process of elimination, I believe that is probably the case. They wanted an athlete, so they went with Kareem, and uh, you know what? I think we're all better off for it. Now, what I'm about to say may not be entirely true, but... This is listed inside it on Wikipedia. I just couldn't find an article that backed it up. Uh, so I'm going to take their word for it. This movie was a part of a three-film production deal for Alan Carr with EMI Films. Of course, EMI, a very, very successful music label at the time, and I believe still today. His next two projects were slated to be The Josephine Baker Story, starring Diana Ross, 
and the first film adaptation of the Broadway musical Chicago. Imagine him doing Chicago after this movie. <laughs> Wonderful. I would actually just cast the, the three leads as the village people, really. That's what I'd there do. There you go. Yeah. Uh, of course, they never come to fruition. And I know studio heads and producers are supposed to sell their movie, but there's a fine line, Paul, between salesmanship and complete obliviousness. And I think these guys clearly crossed it. As I mentioned, Carr invoked singing in the rain when talking about this movie. But he also said things like this, quote, Jenner is going to be the Robert Redford of the 80s. Okay, guys. Right. <laughs> this film will do for Valerie Perrine what carnal knowledge did for Anne Margaret. Oh. Yeah. Jenner will be Robert Redford. He goes on, by the way, another quote where he's like, why What do you, why do you have this vendetta against Robert Redford? Because here's the next quote. This movie's a revolution. I mean, this movie is launching whole new careers, and we need new stars today. Warren and Ryan and Redford. These people are way over 40. What I, did Robert Redford say something mean to him at the Oscars in 1979? Like, what's going on there? So, I don't even track the analogy here because Robert Redford was not an athlete turned actor. No, but he's just saying he's going to be the next star. It doesn't even athlete turned actor. It's just this guy's going to be a star at the level of Robert Redford. Yeah, I think that's silly. I think that's... It's insane. I, I, I get it's completely delusional. Said, I get it if he was going to say he's going to be the next O.J. Simpson. <laughs> well. At that time period, I mean. Um, although, although, wait a minute, never mind. Caitlin Jones did kill, a, did kill a person. Wait, what? <laughs> did I not know this? Caitlin Jenner ran over someone. Anyway. Oh, she did? Uh, continue. Oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Oh, wait. Yeah, I got one more. When asked about the village people and Disco's massive dip in popularity over production, the director, Nancy Walker, said, they'll still be hot. If not, I will resurrect them. Eh. Didn't happen. Uh, for uh, posterity, she was found not guilty of... Uh, Vehicular manslaughter okay. before any, uh, uh, and she didn't run over someone. She crashed into someone. Uh, but oh, I do remember this. I do. She remember was this. driving very unsafely and crashed into some people, and they lost their lives. Anyway, continue, Cody. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh yeah, it's like this movie. You got to bring you back up and then bring you back down. <laughs> bring you back up. Bring you back down. The studio also was all in on the hype. They made a one-hour TV special to promote the film called- Oh, my God. They, it's crazy. <laughs> there was a major tie-in with Baskin-Robbins. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. And, of course, in the movie, she's like, time for a Baskin-Robbins run. Hey, get a double dip for me, will you? <laughs> Available at all locations except for Texas and- <laughs> Yeah, there was a- uh, the, the flavor was called Can't Stop the Nuts. Clever. Mm. Come yeah. on, do a little better there. Yeah, there was a TV special called Magic Night, of course, named after one of the uh, songs from the movie. It featured Cher on roller skates, Hugh Hefner in his pajamas, and, of course, a live performance from the village people themselves. Uh, yeah, so uh, despite all that big talk and a big hour-long special... like And spending $20 million to make the movie. And half that budget was just on promoting the movie. When's the last time 
I feel like this happened maybe with Disney movies back in the 90s. That like ABC on like Wonderful World of Disney would take an hour to be like, hey, coming soon, uh, you know, uh, Hercules. Here's the behind the scenes. Here's a little bit about the movie. Like that's the last time I remember things like that yeah. happening. Like you would never today see. I mean, maybe you'd see something on YouTube. I don't know. But I feel like you'd never see anything like that today. Yeah, unless it's, like, part of an existing franchise. Yeah. Like, I could see, like, you know, ABC putting on, like, a little Marvel special. Yeah, true. But those those movies are also so shrouded in secrecy. Uh, all the big franchise movies now. Yeah, but, uh, but I, that's what I, but I mean, though, like, it would only be on a successful franchise. Right, right, right. <laughs> it would not be for, you know, a movie starring some guys that nobody's heard of. And like the woman who was in Superman, right? <laughs> exactly. Again, a, a, a group that has not been popular for the last year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, despite all the big talk from Carr and company, uh, the movie so wait, you're telling me right now, NBC would not put out a special for the Mumford and Sons musical. <laughs> oh God, is that the equivalent again? I'm just thinking of yeah. someone that's popular a couple of years ago. Here's like, the thing: is like Buffer and Sons. Anymore. I feel like that was like their peak was maybe six years ago or so, six seven True. years ago. Who was big last year? I don't know. Rock and roll's dead, baby. Yeah, rock and roll is dead. Um, yeah, this is. It's almost hard to compare because it was such a rise, uh, such an incredible rise and an incredible fall. Like within a month, gone. Or what you do is you take someone who's popular now. And you trick people into thinking you're watching a movie about a classic band, and instead you're watching a movie about them, like that movie yesterday, which tricked me into watching an Ed Sheeran movie. Did you not realize that the Beatles were not going to be in that movie? No, I just thought I was watching a movie about a guy singing Beatles oh, songs. Right. I did not realize it was also going to halfway be about Ed Sheeran. <laughs> a like, little bit. A little I was bit. like, why is so much, especially the weird part where they're like, Ed Sheeran. Is there anyone in the world who writes a better song than Ed Sheeran? Nope. I'm like, oh, yeah. what? what the f-? I'm like, I get the guy's popular, but it- slow down. What is everyone talking? First of all, who even talks about who writes songs nowadays? Like that's the- that- anyway. You know, you've never had a songwriting throwdown, like a songwriting off. Like you've never had that. That's a totally normal, relatable hey, thing, Paul. I love Danny Boyle, and I love 99 percent of everything he does. But there was some stuff in that movie where I was like. This is an older man who doesn't know what people are talking about. Yeah, that's fair. That's right fair. Now. Although uh, that's all I'm saying. Although I will say, uh, spoiler alert, that the John Lennon scene is it was maybe the most oh, affecting yeah. moment I had in a theater last year. And it's not and that movie doesn't even like crack a top ten yeah. for me. But that one scene, the feelings I felt in that scene, I couldn't I can't even describe. So I compared weird. yesterday to uh that movie About Time with Donald Gleason. Yes. It's very where I'm similar. Like, where I'm like there are parts of this movie that are gorgeous and beautiful, and then there are parts of this movie that are problematic and weird. Yeah, ultimately, <laughs> it's about a guy who kept going back in time to essentially stalk a woman who became his wife and he started a life with, and he faces no repercussions. So yeah, okay. But that scene, but that scene of him playing ping pong with his with his dad, Bill Nye, is incredible. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's so good. Yes, a hundred percent agree. I just want to watch an edit of that movie that doesn't make him a creep. Anyway, continue. <laughs> We're, let's talk about this movie. <laughs> so, yeah, this movie, Can't Stop the Music, uh, it was doomed to fail from the beginning. Uh, the lead singer of the Village People, Victor Willis, actually leaves the group 
during pre-production. He is not in this movie. Oh. So backup singer uh, Ray Simpson, who had worked with the group for years, was brought in last minute to replace him. Um, boy, oh boy, were they lucky that Ray Simpson is a fantastic singer. <laughs> because it's like, oh, God, we're about to make our first movie and our lead singer's gone. What do we do? What do we do? And uh, luckily the backup singer uh, more than holds his own. Damn. Tensions between director Nancy Walker and Valerie Perrine came up very early on. They got so bad that Walker was not even present for scenes featuring Perrine. They had the second unit director direct all of her scenes at one point. Wow. And honestly, I think there's times where I'm like, it's very clear that this is not the number one director doing this scene. Uh, Upon reading the script, Uh, the village people's David Hodo said, I threw it across the room. I thought it was a piece of crap. We didn't believe in the movie, but no one would listen to us. Again, I think that speaks to the biggest problem with this movie is embrace the village people. I don't give a shit about the rest of the story. The best parts of the movie are when the village people are on screen. And I don't care that they're bad actors. Like, the Beatles have a bunch of movies where, yeah, it's... Are they better actors maybe than the Village People? Sure. But, like, it's not like uh, George Harrison's a great actor. It's not like John Lennon's the best actor in the world, although he's got good comic timing. Come on. Just embrace it. Just let them be bad. Yeah. That's the fun of it. But but then you couldn't get Steve Gutenberg going, come on, I, we can't. I mean, come on. I, I, there's no way. Ooh. Oh, my... Come on. Okay, tell me if I'm wrong, Paul. There's a part of me that's like... Steve Gutenberg became the biggest star of the 80s after this. How? <laughs> like, somebody watched this and went, there he is. There's the face of 80s comedy right there. Like, am I missing something? And again, he became I, he became good. But clearly, I, I that's why I don't have an eye for talent. Because I would have watched this and gone, well, that guy's got no future. Well, one of my big first red flags when watching this movie was the first scene, I believe, is him in the record store. And uh, he's like, I'm going to make it in this business. I'm going to do things. And then, like, for the rest of the movie, he's like, I can't. And I'm like, <laughs> "Where did what happened to the guy from the first part of the movie? I'm like, he's he disappeared because he believes himself for about five minutes and then it just goes away. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he does. Which led me to believe there was a lot of cooks in this kitchen. Oh, a <laughs> about ton. What, what was happening? Yeah, that's the thing. Is I I just ragged on Steve Gutenberg a lot, but really the script is not good. No, it's a bad script. It's a very very bad yeah. script. So agreed with David Hodo. I would have thrown it across the room as well. And of course, the real reason this movie didn't do well, just a few weeks before filming even begins, Disco Demolition Night happens at Comiskey Park in Chicago. That, of course, yes. marks the unofficial death of disco. And I know people like to mark that day as like, that's the day disco died. And to some extent, and, and it's not 100% true, but honestly, about like two or three weeks later, it takes a huge dive in popularity. Like radio stations who are sick of it, it's like, this would never happen today in, in radio. This is not the way it works. Like, you would not have a bunch of rogue DJs being like, enough is enough, we're not playing the disco. But that's what happened. And it died. It had died right after that. Yeah, if you'd like to learn more about Disco Demolition Night, please check out the Dollop podcast. They do a great episode on it. Uh, I think this is, what, two episodes in a row where I mentioned the Dollop podcast? Yep, yep. It is a good resource, absolutely. It's one of the best podcasts, so. Yes. I believe also Disco Demolition was supposed to be a doubleheader. 
if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong there. I believe it was supposed to be a doubleheader, and they were going to do the demolition in between games. But it became such madness. People storming the field and wrecking the place. I believe beer was even cheaper that day, so they canceled the second game. <laughs> due to, I believe it said, canceled, game canceled due to riot. <laughs> and The anti-disco stuff, again, masked as, I don't like disco, when it's really just, you know, you don't like that uh, people who are not always included uh, have a place where they feel comfortable, so. The movie's a complete bomb. It's critically panned. The film's legacy, though, lives on to this day because it is the reason that the awards show, you mentioned it earlier, that the awards show for the year's worst movies exist, the Razzies. Razzie Mm. creator John Wilson was inspired to create the Notorious Award when he spent 99 cents on a double feature featuring this film and Xanadu. What a double feature he went boy these two piles of shit sure are bad i wonder if there's a way that we can let everyone know how bad they are uh the razzies have uh completely i I don't care about it anymore i think there was a time where i was like ha 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 ha, it's funny and it was funny like like i think halle berry like accepted her award for catwoman and that's great i do like it when the actors are like in on the joke i think that's fun but uh now it's i just don't care anymore like I, I think they have they've worn their welcome for me. Uh, this movie though has gained a cult following through the years, uh, especially in the LGBTQ community and in Australia, where it is played every New Year's Eve on uh, the Channel Nine network. I want to say the Apple was also big on Australia too. A disco was bigger in Australia. Disco, I think, had a longer shelf life in Australia than any other mm. country. Interesting. I don't know why, but the Aussies love their disco. All right, let's let's dig into this movie. Let's let's just take let's a big it. old bite into this movie because uh, there's a lot of goofiness. So I said, it starts off with a uh, record store clerk Jacques Morali. Uh, by the way, he is based off of the real manager and writer of the Village People's biggest hits. His name also Jacques Morali. Uh, of course, plays by Steve Gutenberg. He's sick and tired of his dead-end job, and he quits to pursue his dream of becoming a nightclub DJ and a songwriter. And he storms out, or maybe I should say he rolls out, as he's wearing some roller skates, <laughs> and then rolls gloriously through the streets of New York City uh, to the song The Sound of the City by David London. Uh, I believe David London, by the way, was a sing. He was a guy who was like not super popular on his own but he also was like a he had stints with bands like toto and i think foreigner as a lead singer i'll tell you what this made me a a fan yeah i really like the opening number and i love the song samantha yeah yeah i was like this is dope i love this that's the thing is the the music in this is great i love the music in this movie oh yeah it's fantastic uh, and it's a shame because it's like it's no one cares about this music anymore, which I it's I'm glad that it has it is still remained. It still has an audience all these years later that appreciate the music because there is some really great music. So, yeah, it's it's prime Steve Gutenberg roller skating through the streets of New York City set to the sound of the city by David London. And you've got like 
the camera and like the shots and you know he's got like him on each side mirroring each other and then another shot in the middle it's it's awesome this was the moment where i was like you know what despite what this movie's gonna be i think i'm gonna love this movie (laughs) this is so ridiculous uh, he runs into his roommate, a now retired supermodel, Samantha, played by Valerie Perrine, uh, who the first line he says to his uh, supermodel friend, hey, getting fat, little piggy or something like that. Like, mm, all right, good. Good start here. Great start. Uh, and tells her that uh, he's got a big DJ gig set up for tonight. They head back to their like this apartment is insane. Oh, it's amazing. I know she's a supermodel or was a supermodel. But good lord, this apartment is so nice. It's so nice. Uh, yeah, they go to their insanely nice apartment. And what? He was just like a housekeeper from what I was gathering? He was a house sitter. House sitter. Okay, the house sitter turned roommate. Yeah. Nice gig if you can get it. We got to think. She was probably like, I travel all the time for work. You know, this guy's going to house it all the time. He's like, hey, if I'm going to stay here for like weeks, months at a time anyway... He's so he's basically Brad Pitt in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah, that's basically what he is. Yeah, except yeah. he gets to stay at the house instead of having the trailer. Yeah, that's true. So they're at the insanely nice apartment, and their friend Felipe, who just happens to dress like a Native American chief, is there watching the Lone Ranger. Okay, so this is the part where I'm like, I get it's the village people. I get that. You gotta have a better explanation of why they're dressed up the way they are. Like they did a pretty good job with like. This is my friend. He's a cop. Here's a friend yeah. who is on the National Guard. Leatherman's a biker. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Cody. This is this is gonna be uh, your your favorite part right now because, Cody, when this part came on, I still at this point did not know this was a Village People musical. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, Cody, how confused I was <laughs> during this scene. I was like, why is he dressed like an Indian? What's the reason? <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> oh, I should have prepped swear, you a little I, better, I, but I I'm kind of glad Cody, I didn't. I swear to you, Cody, I did not look at the description for the movie. I just pushed rent on Amazon Prime, and I pushed play. And that is all I did. I didn't even look at the description of the movie. So at this point, I was like, okay, I get... I mean, I, to me, I was thinking the village people. But I was also like, okay, like share half breed the song, like okay, maybe they're like doing a thing where they're like, oh, you know, people in the seventies they were like enamored with Native American culture in all the worst ways. So like, oh, maybe, maybe that's all this guy's doing, you know, whatever. I mean, in a uh, way, that is what he's doing. Yeah, uh, although he claims to be part uh, First Nations, I think Apache is what he says. Uh, okay, and he's also part Puerto Rican. But you know, is that true? Who knows? Uh, he says he is. I hope he is. I have to take his word on it. We also yeah. took Johnny Depp's word on it, and uh, look how that yeah. worked out. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. Uh, so, at this point, I was really confused, Cody. If you thought you were struggling to believe the validity of this scene, I had no idea what the fuck was going on. I was like, all right. Yeah. This is straight. I thought, at this point, this is going to be a movie about a guy who becomes a very successful DJ. <laughs> well, they win. That is what it is, essentially. Yep. So you're not wrong in a technical yeah. sense. But I thought it was just not him writing music. I thought it was just him being a DJ. Right. That's it. I was like, all right, here we go. Oh, man. So, yeah, their friend Felipe uh, is there watching The Lone Ranger, uh, of course. And, yeah, like I said, they, 
if see here's the thing if this movie was just it's the village people then who cares like they're just characters and i would almost have them like see paul the movie in my mind is a village people musical but they're like essentially superheroes that's what i would have them as like they're so their big costumes are like their superhero costume like that's mm-hmm. what i would be doing i'd be i would make be making a superhero musical with the village people and it would kick ass i would love that but they just were like, nope, here he is. No explanation as to why he's the way he is. It's, it's just, He just is. And also, because he's actually a pretty good actor. Yeah, it's true. I, 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 he didn't stick out to me as like, who is this dude and why is he in this movie? Like I was just like, okay. Yeah. I was like, look at him go. Look at those cheeks fly. <laughs> uh, Jacques is describing, hey, I got my gig tonight. Hey, and uh, apparently Felipe works at the nightclub, so he'll see him there. Uh, there's also a really offensive joke about doing a rain dance here, so that's not good, and we're just going to ignore that and move right along. Uh, yep. We go to the club. Uh, Samantha is the center of attention on the dance floor. Jack is DJing to a packed house. And then, as you mentioned, that song Samantha plays. It's a great tune. Um, this At this and point... In, yeah, go ahead. In the movie world, it's his original. Yes. This is his song. Yeah. So... The only weird thing about that um, is after this, they he claims that he knows no one who knows how to sing. He has no way of making a demo. He has no way of doing any of these things. And yet he has this fully produced, amazing song <laughs> ready to go to play at a club where a bunch of people are like, hell yeah, we're all about this. We just did a rail of coke in this bathroom and I'm ready to dance. <laughs> Yeah, Paul, I'm not, you know, the, I'll, I'll forgive some of the inconsistencies in this movie because <laughs> there is a lot. Because you know what? If you don't, then you're just not going to enjoy the movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was very funny. It is. It is. Yeah, and as the song plays, too, this is the moment where I'm like, uh-oh, is this movie just like a mood piece? Like, because that's what this whole song is. It's just like the wavy like almost very wavy lights and and distortion and uh samantha just grind bumping and grinding on everybody and like nothing's happening it's just a music video so i was like okay we'll see i i I, is there gonna be a plot yeah at this point i was also like oh no is this not really a musical is this just just songs playing i was at this point i was confused i was i was too I to the point where I was like, "Is there another movie called Don't Stop the Music right. that I was supposed to watch?" Again, What's in, happening? in our defense, the man who produced and wrote this movie said it was singing in the rain for disco. So I was like, "I'm on board. Here we go. We got to talk about it on a musical podcast." Yeah. Anyway, the next day, Samantha gets a call from her former fashion agent Sydney Channing, played by Tammy Grimes, and her assistant Lulu, played by Marilyn Sokol. Cody, I love these two. I do too. I do too. Hilarious. The opening moment where she's like, oh yeah, I'm calling you for her. And then she spins the chair and is like, stop me. I was like, this is great. I love this. I love this. It was great. Now I know what Devil Wears Prada soul from, you know? That's true. That's true. Yeah. It from, all comes back to Can't Stop the Music. For the superior uh, source material, clearly. Yes. Uh, they are trying desperately to bring her back to modeling for an ad, an ad campaign about milk, uh, but she refuses. When did the Got Milk ad start, by the way? 90s? Early, late 80s, early 90s? Gotta say, man, this thing saw saw the writing on the wall here. It's about true. Milk. It sounds silly at the time, but like 
Yeah, I, I remember lots of ads of like supermodels with the milk mustaches and athletes with the milk mustaches. Like it was huge. Yeah. Huge. Let's bring back Got Milk. Why not? It's time. I, I think now this is also a point where I'm like, OK, I, I, the story is finally becoming clear. <laughs> Steve Gutenberg is an inspire is, is an aspiring songwriter. He can write great songs, can't sing for shit. So at this point, Valerie Prince like, well, figure that out. I'm going to go out for this uh, sponsored Baskin Robbins run where I will get my uh, scoop of Can't Stop the Nuts available for the next month. Can't stop the music in theaters now. Uh, she steps out for some ice cream. And on the way, she runs into, uh, just by chance, runs into most of the members of the village people uh, as she heads home. And they all seem to be totally caught up with the plan at this point. Like, yeah. she just like she just will turn a corner. And it's it's not even like a cut. It's like, just, it just keeps going. She's like, all right, so here's what we're doing. Like, wait, where was the first part of that conversation? <laughs> what happened? You know, yeah. Like creative liberties, blah, blah, blah. I get it. Uh, the moment that that i see uh the what is it the construction worker is where it all clicks cody <laughs> this is the moment where i go oh because <laughs> <laughs> that's the first one she sees after the the uh the indian no the, uh, there's like two other ones that she sees along the way doesn't she i could have sworn but are they dressed oh you're right you're right you're right yeah, that's what I'm saying. Then all of a sudden she sees the construction worker at the modeling thing, and I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I know what you're doing. <laughs> now I recognize this. <laughs> yes, she meets up with the construction worker. This is David Hodo, who, yeah, is on the set of something. I don't really quite know. Yeah, I can't tell what they're selling. I don't know what the set. The, it's clearly a commercial for something. Um, yeah. But they make it seem like, as she's telling him the plan, um, they make it seem like he's on the set of a music video uh, for the song that we hear here. I love you to death. <laughs> I love this whole scene. You know what I love about it is that David Hodo is is not the most fantastic singer, and he owns the shit out of it. It's so good. Gives no fucks. Nope. All in, baby. All nope. in. Uh, it's so wacky. I actually, I was cackling at the end of it when he goes in front of the big screen, the big uh, wavy screen at the end and goes like, oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> I don't know what, why it was that it made me laugh so hard, but I laughed so hard. Uh, I love everything about this. And yeah, it turns out, no, just kidding. He was daydreaming on the set of a uh, a much more boring shoot. So now we are uh, moving along. And uh, look, I wish I could explain this more coherently, but this is the scene of event. This is the sequence of events that then happens. We see Sydney come out of a taxi cab. She gets hit in the butt with a loaf of bread by an old woman who stepped out of a bakery called the Exotic Baker. She then grabs the bread and hits her back. It is never explained why this happens. Nope, just happens. I rewound this I three times because I was like, am I high? What's happening? Is it just like the first and long line of like New York, man? That's really what this is. is that, yeah, right? Is that? I think. Like, I don't know. I'm like, am I missing a joke that it's exotic baker and it's got big red lips? So maybe she's like a horny old lady. 
and saw a woman bending over and decided to slap her butt with a giant loaf of bread? I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Am I just thinking about it too hard? No, I, I, yes. I, I was confused too, Code. I, I have no idea. I, I was... but but did did I laugh nonstop? You bet your ass I did. Genius, come comedic genius. <laughs> Uh, then enter Ron White, uh, who's starring uh, Jenner in a tux, walking down the street uh, with a cake. He sees a little old lady get clipped by a motorcycle. <laughs> uh, he goes to help her, but it turns out he's been had. The lady robs him for all he's got, minus New York, the cake. Man. New York, what a crazy town. And this is the beginning of when I went, what went wrong during a lot of this production? To where they are heavily ADRing in so much dialogue. So much. I was like, this entire scene, she it's not the lady. It's 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 just and it's another voice. And it doesn't even match like at all. And I'm like, what happened? Did they did they lose the audio? <laughs> like, what what's going on? Uh like the scene even when she's talking to Felipe and she's like, You can sing, and he starts singing and his mouth is completely off. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 like, oh no, oh no! If but only this was just people, someone talking. Yeah, it's too much. It's way like, too much. I was like, what's going on here? I'd imagine maybe they filmed on the street, and a lot of it got muted by the, the ongoing traffic or whatnot. I suppose so. Yeah, it still seems like a, a bit much. Meanwhile, hijinks continue. Sydney goes to a phone booth to try and make a call. Her finger gets jammed in the rotary, and uh, the door gets jammed, and she's stuck there for many, many hours. So now we go to the evening back at their apartment. They're setting up for a party where Jack is going, or Jacques, excuse me, is going to present his music, and a group of people that Samantha met in the village. Uh, yeah, a group of people she met in the village, huh? What could they group be called? Eh, anyway, we'll figure that out later. They will be singing uh, Jacques' music. All the while, uh, Lulu, the assistant, is there, and she's horny as hell for Felipe, uh, and then maybe a little bit for Jacques, but really, they just want to go and get high. Cody, whether it's a musical classic that stars Ju Judy Garland or someone else, or whether it's this crazy, coked-out 70s musical, there's always a lady that's horny in the corner just trying to get some. That's true. <laughs> Dude, there's, there's just always a side horny lady. That's, that, that's so, like, <laughs> so that's what he meant when it was like, it's going to be a classic musical of yesteryear yeah. for the disco era. It's like the- That's the part you know, he was Gene Kelly about. would be proud. Gene <laughs> Kelly would be proud yeah. of this, of this <laughs> random horny lady. Uh, Ron White comes knocking at the door. With a whiskey in his hand, he's like, hey, man. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it feels very in... weird to be saying Ron White, you know, famous comedian <laughs> of the blue collar comedy tour circuit is in this movie. That's all I keep thinking when you keep saying I it. don't do. It's very, when I found out his name was Ron White. Oh, wait, oh, wait a minute. No, that cannot uh, be. Uh... Ron comes knocking at the door to deliver, again, the logic. He's delivering a cake. From Samantha's sister in St. Louis, their neighbors. This lady went, are you going to New York? Cool, so what I'm going to do is, I'm going to give you a cake. You're going to take it all the way to New York, and you're going to deliver it to my sister. What fucking world? <laughs> <laughs> also, it looks like a store-bought cake. Right. She lives in New York. Look, I know it's 1980, <laughs> 1979 when this is filmed. Even still, 
this seems like a lot of work to put in to give your sister a cake. Also, for no discernible reason. It's not like it's her birthday or anything. Oh, yeah, but it's to introduce him into the movie. No, of but course. Reason, yeah. But the reason that's double dumb is because the all the scenes before this is her character just walking through the streets. She could have just seen the mugging. Yeah. But much easier. And been like, I'm sorry, New York isn't always like this. Come to my place. We're having a party. Yep. That's it. Yep. And you could still done the whole, like, the cop comes in and, oh, hey, great, officer, I need to talk to you. Yeah. Like, once again, I'm just, I'm just picturing, like, some people writing, and they're like, well, how do we, how do we get Jenner into this movie? <laughs> oh, he's bringing a cake. He's bringing a cake or something. I mean, come on, what do you want? <laughs> uh, oh, you know? God. What the hell were they thinking? Oh jeez! But bring a cake. Bring a cake. Sounds good. Bring yeah. Cake. Okay. So he brings the cake. It just hey, cake. okay. Luckily, he's finally got someone to talk about his traumatic encounter with the little old lady. So he's like, "Screw it! I'm going to stick around here." As luck would have it, he meets a cop uh, played by Ray Simpson, who has just arrived. Uh, Samantha's friend Alicia, played by Altaviz Davis, brought him along after hearing him sing while handing out parking tickets. Of course, right before this is. Uh you know, what don't you want to happen uh, right after you have a nice smoke sesh is for a cop to show up. The popo shows up. Uh-oh. Yeah, that whole scene where he's just like, oh, God. Oh, God. Also, he yeah. goes from really high to not high at all very quickly. Yes. Yes. Mom shows up, and he's as fit as a fiddle. Yes. But what I will say, Cody, there's a lot to make fun of in this movie. But if some of my friends were like, we're going to have a bunch of people over. We're going to have some wine. going to have some drinks. going to make lasagna. I'm always going to play music. I'd be like, let's fucking do this. Oh, of course. <laughs> this sounds amazing. <laughs> you had me at lasagna. Yeah. I was like, lasagna and music? Let's fucking go. <laughs> also, uh, she dropped a contact lens into the lasagna, right? Yes. And then she's like, oh, it'll add crunch. And That's I was what like, the assistant says, yeah. Okay. I've, I, I don't wear contacts. But from my understanding of contacts, they're not crunchy. Maybe the old ones were, Cody. Oh, that sucks. Oh, God, that had to hurt. No wonder no one wore contacts. Most people wore glasses back in the day. That's That sounds awful. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so Jack's mom arrives. Uh, Sydney does, too, after escaping the phone booth with the help of a local hobo. That whole thing's great, by yep. the way. Operator, my finger is stuck. Yes. Operator. Um, <laughs> can I say... Across the board, and I, I don't have a delicate way of saying it, the older ladies in this film are all great. Absolutely. All of them. Every single one is a treasure. His mother is hilarious. Mom is hilarious. So she's yeah. always like, you're going to be the next George Gershwin. Yeah. Wonderful. They're all great. Like All the, all the, all the, like, the veteran actresses in this movie are phenomenal. It's like, like damn, like, how did you guys all get signed up into this piece of shit? Also, I found it very <laughs> funny that they like she's- I think they very purposely make her out to be like, oh, she's bringing very like traditional Jewish foods for him, and like, oh yeah, she has the sort of like the traditional Jewish mother sort of feel for her, and then you find out, oh no, she's Roman Catholic. I, she, my dad's Jewish, and yeah. I found that very funny. By the, at the end of the movie, mm. yeah, all all of the moms uh, are killing it. All the moms and all the old ladies are killing it in this movie. 
So now we have our whole crew, this whole hodgepodge of people that have shown up for some lasagna in the backyard of Greenwich Village in New York uh, on a Wednesday night to see the debut of Jacques' group in music. And, of course, uh, the cop that has shown up decides, yeah, what the heck, I'm going to be part of this group. I don't need to practice. Who needs practice? Yeah. If anything, he haphazardly just... Just holds the the lyric sheet as though he already had it memorized yes. somehow. Also, Paul, I don't know if you felt this way. There's a moment during this whole scene before they start singing where I was like, are these like aliens impersonating human behavior? Like the way they were talking. <laughs> I was like, this is not how people act or talk. Like, no. again, no one comes all the way from St. Louis to drop off a cake. That is something an alien would do. Hello, yeah. this is a cake. I've come all the way from St. Louis to drop it off for you. May I come in? Yes. Uh, but anyway, everyone's settled in now. Time for the big show. And they sing the song Magic Night. This song kicks ass. I love this song so much. Um, and Ray Simpson, clearly a, a crazy that he was brought in as an emergency because he's like the glue holding this together. Um, he's great. And the song is great, and it's fun, and uh, it's just a goofy old time in their backyard. Love it. At this point, uh, Ron storms out of the party that he stumbled into in the first place. Like, you weren't invited. He gets all judgy. Like, he's like, you people are, you, yeah. you people are crazy. Like, um, you weren't invited, and you decided to stay. So, fuck off. <laughs> yeah. What a jerk move. He does that a lot in this movie. He does. He's supposed to represent like middle America, like uptight sort of. Yeah. Oh, the big city. Oh, this is crazy. Old women are gonna rob me. Yeah. So he leaves, and we think, hey, that's the last we're seeing of him. Fast forward, and we see Jacques just looking like a hunk sitting on that stoop. Like I said, that look. My physical goal is Steve Gutenberg in white overalls with no shirt from this movie that is my aspiration right there there you go samantha tells him that every music exec that she's gotten a hold of has tried pulling the casting couch routine on her so in a last ditch effort she sets up a meeting with her ex the head of marrakesh records steve played by paul sand samantha arrives in her most seductive look and tries to convince steve to give her new group a chance uh, she's told him that she's the manager all the while, he's distracted by about six different phones strewn about his office. The phone ga- gag made me laugh. It's very. It funny. was so dumb, but it made me laugh every time. It's very, very stupid. And like, as he's like finally like giving in to her, like yes, 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 and then like reaches over the couch and like grabs the yeah. phone real quick. It's wonderful. Yeah. Um, I will also say uh, a little bit of. I don't know if you mentioned this at the beginning, but uh, Marrakesh Records uh, play on of. Casablanca Records, which oh, of is course. what the village people is actually on. There so, you go. Yeah. Makes sense. He does not give in to her charms, and they're no match for the telephone ring. But by the end of the scene, we realize that uh, none of that matters, and he was just going to give him a chance to record the demo anyway as a, f- as a favor to her. But then, of course, he gets a little more intimate, tries to get a little more intimate, but it's already in the bag, so she tries to get away. Uh, I like this whole gag as she's leaving the office. And she's like quoting lines of popular songs of the era as she like tries to back her way out. Yes. Very good. As she leaves, she leaves. She passes by Ron White, 
once again, holding his traditional bourbon and cigar. Uh, <laughs> not very appropriate for office behavior, but hey, it's 1979. Uh, he, he rushes to catch her. He apologizes for his behavior the night before and even offers his law office for auditions for the rest of the group the next day. Which might be the most absurd part of this entire fucking movie. Yes. Like, yeah, just use my office. I'll make up an excuse. What? Excuse me? I mean, he works in entertainment law. But still. Even still. Let's hold huge auditions for this group. It's ridiculous. And then, of course, he asks if he can make up for his bad behavior by taking her out to dinner. And she agrees to have dinner at her place. They head back to her place as uh, Jacques and Samantha are talking about how the meeting went. And then Ron goes to take the lasagna out of the oven and runs it to Samantha and drops a piping hot lasagna all on his pants. I will say this. He's got some great physical comedy bits that he actually pulls off pretty well uh, yeah. in this movie. Uh, so Samantha and Jack uh, do the logical thing and uh, rip his pants off together. Yeah, baby. <laughs> this is where the movie gets real hot and steamy. This movie gets very racy. From yes, it on. does. Jack steps out, and a now pantsless Ron sits in a dentist chair? Is that what that was? I want to say it's like a barber's chair. Okay. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. You're right. That is a barber's chair. Which, nonetheless, very, uh, I guess, though, for a model. She's a model. That makes sense. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. In my mind, I had it as a dentist chair, and that seemed weird, but now it's all coming together. I get it. I get it. She has a whole atrium in her kitchen. I, I'm, I'm going to allow this. <laughs> right. Exactly. This woman is, she she has multitudes, so. Yeah. Samantha puts on something a little more comfortable and dims the lights, and uh, the two of them get pretty intimate, and Ron takes her to bed. Oh, yeah. Also, in case you've forgotten at this point, yes, this movie's about the village people. It's not about Ron and Samantha and Jacques. It's about the village people. Mm -hmm. This is the moment where I've shortened a lot of this description here. This is a long extended period where I'm like, where are the village people? <laughs> this is what I came for. And uh, wouldn't you know it, right after this, there they are. Uh, Alicia is walking towards the audition with another one of her friends, a GI that would be perfect for the group. And then, ah, uh, here he comes. The man, the myth, the legend, Leatherman, rides up in his Harley, ready to blow everyone away. Now, if there's a reason that, I have, that I've shown a lot of affection for Leatherman, freshman year of high school, me and my friends for Halloween were the village people. <laughs> And I was Leatherman. And no one thought I was Leatherman. Everybody thought I was, um, oh, what's his name from South Park? Oh, Mr. Slave? Yes. <laughs> Everyone was like, oh my God, you're Mr. Slave. That's so funny. I'm like, actually, I'm the leather biker from the village people. They're like, all right, Mr. Slave. Sure you are. Yeah, which is what Mr. Slave is supposed to be looking yes, like. So exactly. So they're one in the same. Yeah, I just owned it by the end of the day. I'm like, yeah, you're right. I'm Mr. Slave. As auditions continue, Ron's mother and uh, that's not Ron's father, right? The head of the law firm. No. Okay, that was very confusing. They come in together as if they're are they together? Are they a couple? I think she just ran into him. Okay. There. Yeah. Anyway, also everyone's uh, like, "Damn, your mom's a babe!" Like to Ron. <laughs> uh, even Samantha is a little shocked. She's like, "Oh shit." 
Of course, they come in as uh, just this Greek Adonis is flexing his muscles in front of everyone. Uh, so let's go. Th- this whole scene, there are some cameos in this scene. Yes. There's Blackie Lawless, a member of the New York Dolls and the heavy metal group Wasp. Uh, I didn't even catch that. There's James Marcel, who uh, would later become James Wilder. Uh, background dancers are Perry Lister, girlfriend of Billy Idol and mother to his son, and Peter Tram, who would go on to appear in dozens of music videos and double for Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Wow. This is good. This is a quite a list. Yeah. They are in New York, so I bet it was just like anybody who is anyone like, hey, just come in, hop in, yeah. just, just, just hang around. Village people are doing a movie. Nice. Yep. Yeah, there's We're a lot cocaine, of- Cocaine, baby! <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's, like, yeah, I don't know. There will be cocaine. Where do we come? Where do we get? Where do we sign up? Yeah, this whole scene is ridiculous. I love the the, the guy is what? He's juggling knives. He's juggling swords, right? At one point. Uh, isn't it flaming things? No, that's the end of it. Where oh, the end of it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> that's the, best. Has, the guy oh, yeah, just comes the, in and he's like, here's a, what I can a, do. It's like a pole that's on fire, yes. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. I yeah, just, you're right. Juggling swords. Yeah. I love how they're all like, yay, it's over. And then the guy's just like, look at me, and just starts juggling the fire. <laughs> just madness. Yeah, and this is also another part, because at this point, the head of the law firm is like, oh, I've represented Rogers and Hammerstein and Marvin Hamlish. And this also is another moment where I'm like, this musical has su- this movie has such a reverence for the musical era of Judy Garland and Rogers and Hammerstein, and yet does not embrace it <laughs> as much. So it just really makes me realize this was definitely a different movie when they started this and things that were in the original script just found their way back into it and just kept just stayed into it. So amid all that chaos and confusion, Leatherman comes in just looking for an extension on his income tax, <laughs> which, you know, who doesn't come in to uh, a law office with uh, a leather jacket halfway zipped down and no shirt underneath with your fully exposed hairy chest? You know, normal things. Yeah, that's true. That's just how people looked back then. That's what I assume. Uh, by the way, he also mentions here that he was that he's a toll collector. That was true. He actually was discovered as a toll collector in New York City uh, by the village people. But that's what his Damn. job was, at least before uh, he became a member of the village people. At this point, he finds out what's going on, that there's auditions. He goes, ha-ha, let me show you what I've got. And man, Paul, I don't think I ever knew how much I needed Leatherman singing Danny Boy in my life. But man, oh man, did I need yes. it. I really enjoyed the sip before the high note. The sip of, of Dr. Pepper, which the only uh, soft, the official soft drink of uh, Can't Stop the Music. Oh, the official. Yes, don't forget it. This is the moment where I was like, I was on the fence for a while, and I was like, I love this movie again. (laughs) This movie's great. So now Leatherman Uh, and the GI are on board. The group is complete, and Ron's mom inadvertently gives them their name, The Village People. Uh, She says, like, you're hanging out with these people from The Village. Ha ha, there it is, The Village People. Hey, that's great. (laughs) I love that name. (laughs) Boy, oh boy, what a good impression of Gutenberg. Mom, come on. (laughs) The head Uh, of the firm is disgusted with what he's seen. So Ron decides to quit right then and there and becomes the group's lawyer. 
So now we fast forward. The guys and Samantha are walking down the street, and now this feels like a Village People movie. Uh, Ron has gone from a full suit to short shorts and a cut-off T-shirt. Damn right. Crop that top, baby. I, lo- I mean, it, I'm sure it was done on purpose. They're just like, goes from suit to uh, now he's got the belly button exposed. Hell yeah. Uh, Ron tells them that he's got a place to practice free of charge. This, this great place where you can get a good meal. You can exercise and you can hang out with all the boys. Hmm. Yeah. Wonder where that could be. And then we get the most phenomenal scene of the film. The YMCA. Yes, of course, they have to do a big musical number set to YMCA. Because, of course, Damn it's right. the Village People. It's a Village People musical. A montage of a lot of very fit, very active men. Also, penis. There's a penis in this yep. scene. A fully, There's a lot of full frontal male nudity. There's also full frontal female nudity. Uh, there's that scene, the very quick shot of the hot tub. They're all naked, and Valerie Perrine is topless. And you definitely yes. see her exposed breasts. Yep. What do you think this movie's rated, Paul? <laughs> PG. This is before PG-13. Yeah. And before they started putting R's on anything that had any kind of nudity. So there was no, like, I remember, uh, there's a few movies, like, Earth Girls Are Easy is rated PG. I remember this because, uh, as a young lad, I would go to the movie, the video store with my parents, and they'd be like, you can rent anything, just can't be rated R. I'd be like, all right. And I'd pick a movie out, and I'd be like, whoa, what, what's going on here? Right. <laughs> I'd be like, hey, whoa. I think that was the first time I watched Monty Python, and I was like, oh, this is age property. Oh, my God, boobs. You know, yeah. they just don't care. They're like, yeah, here's some boobs. Yeah. Who cares? Now, did I also look at the weekly TV guide that came with the newspaper that told you what kind of movies had nudity in them and what ratings they were that were on TV that week? And did I also cross-reference that and say, well, that one's rated PG and it has boobs, therefore I'm going to rent this movie? I might have possibly done that. I was 12. (laughs) I mean, come on. What do you want? You clearly were ahead of the game. You were doing, uh, what was the name? Was it called Mr. Mr. Skin? Skin. Yes. I was was doing the Mr. Skin before. You were Mr. Skin before. If only you knew that you could make money off that on the internet. Wasn't a healthy childhood. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) But it could have been a profitable one. Could have been if I only got in there. Can you imagine some some investor getting a call? So I got this idea for an app. Check it out. It's a website. So like... Some movies, like even though they're PG, they totally have bush. It's, it's you got to check it out. <laughs> check out minute forty-seven of Cheerleader Squad. <laughs> uh, so funny. Well, if you want to cross-reference this one, yeah, check out about an hour and five minutes into this movie. But male nudity even more rare. You can find a, oh, yeah. a bunch of eight movies from the eighties that are PG that have boobs. You're talking some male nudity? Bravo. Yeah. Bravo. And it was like, it wasn't just like one. There were like, there were dicks a-flopping in that about two seconds. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, my God. (laughs) That is a lot. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah, it's the closest this movie gets to actually, like. There's a couple good packs of Franks in this film. There is. Absolutely is. This is the closest the movie gets to actually embracing LGBTQ culture, the gay culture uh, that is so associated with the village people. When they walk through the locker room and everyone's just kind of getting dressed and everyone's just kind of staring, 
I'm like, how are none of them making comments right now? Come on. Yeah. I was like, come on. <laughs> and also, all these men, not a single one of them are looking at uh, Perrine in this scene. Nope. Not, nope. not one of them is like, a woman's in the male locker room. They're just like, hey, who gives? Who cares? <laughs> like, um, yeah, yeah. I got my eyes on Leatherman. Yeah, exactly. Who uh, doesn't? And- I think this is this film's way, and there are moments where they're talking about like, oh, we're a group of people that are all different. Like they make those very, like, beating around the bush references to yeah. like we're inclusive. San and Francisco, this is, we like kink here, right? Right. So it's it, it it is we like different people here. It is very much a gay pride movie without ever mentioning gay pride. Yeah. Ever. So. Uh, and this is, yeah, the closest this movie gets to going fully on board with that. And also, the scene is great. Like, the big, oh, like, yeah. like, the scene where it's, like, the, the wide shot of all of them in the gymnastics room is awesome. Where they're all in the big Y is awesome. It gave me a whole new appreciation for this song, honestly. Uh, which, you know, it's been beaten in our brains to death. And I think we lose sight of, like, what is actually the song is is about and what they're saying yeah. and it's great. also how good the bass line is in the song it's great it's a good song if Solid. we didn't hear it I a million was... times forever and ever we would like the song more i think full disclosure today cody i watched this movie while i was working out and i'll tell you what there is no better movie to watch while working out good than ymca starts bumping and i actually have a little bose sound system in my garage so literally the bass cody is thumping in there i was like i was like if somebody's walking by there can be definitely hear this through the garage door by the way uh they're definitely like is someone really in there like listen to ymca that loud right now but <laughs> i don't care i was on that treadmill and i was going cody i was going bravo that's incredible i'm like yeah all right let's do this that's a good that's <laughs> j- yeah just put this on during your workout and you're set yeah Although I gotta say, I expected to hear this movie, but I also expected to hear in the Navy and Macho Man. Yeah, what no the Macho hell? Man. The only reference to Macho Man is a uh, Valerie Perrine wearing that yeah. uh, shirt that says Macho Woman. Or in the Navy. So in the that's Navy a, though comes out the year that they were starting production on this movie. So maybe it was just a little too late. But Macho Man. A little too late or a little too actually relevant. I yeah, mean, maybe on, right people. on time. Yeah, yeah. Come on. True. Yeah, you should have put Macho Man in it for sure. Yeah. Maybe it got cut. Who knows. Fast forward, time for the demo. The group is a little nervous. Record exec Steve arrives late as he's like, I got an award to win. It's a big deal, big whoop, whatever. Uh, and Jacques tries to sell him on the group's exciting new sound. You know, the sounds of the 80s, yeah. which is the exact same sound as the sound of 1977. You know, yeah. something fresh and new. So the group, very nervous, sings the song Liberation. Uh, this song with a great message that gets totally ignored because the group is stumbling and bumbling their way through the performance but you know what if any group can sound this good well they are being like oh no we're doing bad but they sound that good uh, hell sign me up you kidding yeah. me it's ridiculous why would a record exec care if they don't dance well in the studio who gives a shit we'll work on that you sound good Anyway, yeah. why, why am I even trying to make sense of this movie at this point? Uh, Steve leaves the studio and tells them there's no way he'll sign the group, but he does have another plan. He does still want to sign them, but for dirt cheap. 
That's actually what he's doing at that point. Yeah, I think he's exactly. he's he's, uh, he's playing it low, you know. He's he's walking away from that used car. He's like, uh, I don't know if I want this, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's just that's just a bargaining chip, bargaining move right there, especially with an ex who's gonna, you know, she's like, please try to soften him up, and yeah, he, I think he realizes what she's gonna try to do, so he's already two steps ahead of her. So yeah, Samantha comes out, pleads with him, and he shows her the offer. It's nothing, and she refuses. The next day, Samantha and Alicia meet up with Ron and Jacques, who have uh, been doing a little day drinking. <laughs> they are drunk at, like, yes. noon. Hell yeah. And they're like, what the hell? Really? You're celebrating right now? And they use their drunk powers and, and probably a little bit of cocaine as well uh, to come up with a plan to introduce the village people to the world at a big party. 2,000 people, $20 a head. We're going to make a lot of money. But, of course, it's going to cost a lot of money to put it on. So Samantha decides right then and there that she's going to do one last modeling gig, that milk ad that Sydney begged her to do under one condition, that the village people appear in the commercial with her. And oh my God, Paul, I love this scene. I think I said YMCA is my favorite scene. I may take it back. The song Milkshake is incredible. <laughs> Amazing. First of all, Starting with like the Muppet Baby versions of the village people all drinking milk and then they evolve into super village people on a Busby Berkeley style stage doing a double entendre filled musical ex extravaganza about the wonders of milkshakes. <laughs> what a number. Absolutely. And the costumes are wonderful. All in that milk white. Love this part. Absolutely love this part. Vitality. Cody, can you believe it? This is now the best milkshake song we've ever heard? Yeah. I think you're right. I'm sorry, Khalees. I mean- She was in the lead for a her, long time. Hers may bring all the boys to the yard. Right. But I think this one's going to bring a whole lot more boys to the yard. <laughs> Fair point. Fair <laughs> point. Uh, also, not to sound like a, a total uh, ignorant prude here, um, when they're referring to milkshakes here, uh, especially when they say the line, have a milkshake on your coffee break. My gross, and see, actually, the opposite of prude. My gross mind went to, are they talking about uh, rubbing one out in the bathroom before you get back to work? Is that what they're referring to? Oh, no, to? Cody. I think they're talking about some afternoon delight. Ah, fair enough. That's just, you're right. I think they're talking about the exact same thing Khalees is talking about. <laughs> yes, you're absolutely right. That's yes. what it is. So it is sexual in nature, of course. Yes. Okay, fair enough. Also, a good wholesome song about how delicious milkshakes are, which they are. Who doesn't absolutely. love a good milkshake with a sandwich? Chocolate or vanilla or strawberry. I love them all. Milkshakes are good. Uh, the commercial looks great, but Sydney says that the client thinks it might be a little too risque for families. Oh, you think? Uh, also, Ron is jealous for Samantha for some reason because she looks sexy in the commercial. Like, I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. I don't give a shit about, about him. Yeah, it's, it's just more of his, like, he's the prude, so he's yeah. got to be like... Oh, how could you make yourself look sexy? Oh, sorry. When you wanted to date a model that she dressed sexy. Yeah, exactly. What do you expect? She's a supermodel. Yeah. In New York. Like, get yeah. over it, dude. Yeah. Go back to St. Louis and pick up another cake. See, they really could have done a whole lot with that as far as, like, the whole messages of, like, liberation and, like, all the stuff, like, you know, allowing yourself to be you and all that. And they really could have done, like, like Rocky Horror like where you have a, a repressed character and have him like become unrepressed as the movie and like do it through song and everything. 
So they really missed the mark on a lot of things, which is you see why this movie failed because it just didn't see the obvious narratives they could have put. Yeah, I think there was a panic about the 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 sudden uh, decline in popularity of disco and all of the in clearly all of the infighting inside of production that they just yeah this movie was was just doomed to fail. There was never going to be anything beyond it. And yeah, you're right. This should pre- this should be a movie they should remake and make it better and really delve into some of those deeper things while still having a ton of fun a fully diverse cast with like yep like it's naturally a diverse cast there's no f- quote forced diversity the village people were all mixed right where it was a mixed race mm-hmm. group sorry yeah that's just yeah. the way it is so hey you could re- you could totally remake this movie you'd have a ton of people who'd be amazing in it i'm saying right now put billy porter in this thing like right now yeah yeah <laughs> that's great. you know what i mean like, yeah there's a whole lot you could do with this and it would be just think of all the cameos Oh my god, RuPaul cameos, just everything. Oh my god, it would everything. be like you could make it like the Muppets movie with cameos. Just go oh nuts my with god. it. Just go nuts with it. That's exactly what. Oh my gosh, Cody. Paul, I think we need to write the remake of this movie. Cody, no one better than two cis straight white guys to do it. Cody, let's do it. <laughs> oh god. Well, you know, Cody, it's time for me and you to talk about the gay experience. All right. Well, well you know, we it worked out the first time clearly. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyway, let's that if 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 anything, if we can start a campaign to remake this movie from this podcast, we've succeeded. So yeah, the rest of the group explains that uh, they have a plan for a party to make money for the group, uh, but then Ron's mother steps in and says, "Oh, I'm doing a fundraiser with nearly three thousand people in San Francisco next month," and yeah. uh, asks if the village people would like to perform a few songs. Of course they would. Hell yeah! Here we go. Off to San Francisco, as the now single Samantha is expected to be flying with her ex Steve on his private jet as he's going to lure her in. At this moment, by the way, is when I realized that Jack Morrill, uh, a.k.a. Steve Gutenberg's character, is the biggest idiot in the history of, of, of mankind. Because he's like, man, what am I going to do? How am I going to get connections? And he's like, <coughs> supermodel friend. Yeah, hello. Man, man, but how am I going to blah, blah? <laughs> Your mom does fundraisers, you idiot. Like, how does he not think of any of this? Yeah, I don't know. He's just like, the whole time, oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> he's too focused on the craft, Paul. He's too yeah. focused on the songwriting, on the DJ light. Yeah. You heard that really good moment where he's just like, you know, you know the song. Oh, jeez. Anytime he's trying to do the song, he's like, like he's what? doing it, and it's not even to the beat of the song that's playing. Oh, I'm yeah. Like, I'm that, like, what is happening? Now, that's the opposite. They're putting the song in later, and he does not know what the song sounds like. That's exactly yeah. what's happening there. <laughs> so it's rough. so stupid. It's so rough. Uh, Steve is expecting Samantha to be on the private jet, but instead is treated to Jacques and his mother. Luckily, mom has all of his favorite treats packed in her bags. Uh, I love that whole scene. And then as he's like, okay, do you have this in there? Yes. All right. Fine. And then eventually we see the men snuggled next to Mrs. Morale uh, as they are fast asleep as she waxes on about Jacques' rise to stardom. We arrive in San Francisco. The event is underway. We hear the song Give Me a Break by the Ritchie family as they're getting in the mood for the for the concert and what's basically a music video for the all-girl group. It's a great song. It's a great video. It's a great change of pace after we haven't had much music in a little while. Uh, Samantha has yet to arrive, and Ron and Lulu speculate that she may have taken off to Acapulco. 
and that's the weirdest thing. They're just say it in jest, and then like later on, he's like, oh, "We all thought you took off to here." It's like, no, you didn't. You just yeah. said that as a joke. You didn't actually think that, but apparently you oh, did because you're an idiot. Yeah, they, and then he's talking about it seriously, like, "Oh, I th- Acapulco." Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> Why are you guys? Why are you what the happened? way you are? Uh, the group is getting uh, ready for the big show, and Jacques arrives with Steve to announce that they have been signed to a major record deal with Marrakesh Records. I'd go more into details about this scene, but oh my god, there's so much fluff at the end of this movie. Can I can I just wax a little lyrical about the Richie family, though? Yeah. They were fantastic. So good. I mean, just owning the shit out of that stage. I was just like, this, this was... This was great. Like, I actually want to go back and, like, watch their performances now because, like, they just look the part. Like, everything about them was just great. I think the final couple of music numbers here with them and then with the village people, these are just concerts. They just put a camera at a concert yeah. and just shot yeah. it. Because, yeah, they're just owning it. They're yeah. they're so good. And and even at the end, the village people are great at the at the big concert. So love the end those those parts of the movie. Don't love so much the uh, all the fluff here at the end of the movie with the plot. Where it's just like, yeah. things are happening, and I'm like, I don't care. And then what really even drives the point home more is when they do cut to the village people, and they're delightful. And there's, again, that the best line maybe in the movie, uh, Leathermen don't get nervous. Leathermen don't get nervous. And the GI goes, yes, they do. Yeah. Uh, like, they are so missing the mark. They should have embraced the cheesiness and the campiness and the corniness of it. And just have them be on there and be kind of bad actors, but like their personalities are fun. Embrace also, them. Cody, you're a married man. I am not. Yes. I've never proposed to anyone. But I'm gonna venture a guess that you don't want to propose at the same time you're apologizing for something. As he does in this film. Oh yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> Look, He's like, let me propose to you. Let's also, get married. I'm sorry. Also, I'm super sorry about basically insinuating that you were a whore for money and that uh, you're a bad person because of it. Is basically what he says. <laughs> and yeah. He's like, sorry, sorry about devaluing you as a person and all your morals. But hey, married? <sighs> just a just a oh bad character. Also, one of my favorite lines from the movie, Cody, and this. I appreciate the accuracy of this, Cody. Frisco. No one calls it San. No one calls it Frisco. All right. So only, here's- only. Yes. San Francisco. She says, only San Francisco. Here's where I'll go to bat for Frisco. Nope. Paul, we're not from San Francisco. First of all, no, we're from San Jose, but I've lived close enough my entire life. People who are from the city, it, it depends on what neighborhood you were born in. Honestly, the richer, more affluent neighborhoods don't go by. They say, no, don't say Frisco. Neighborhoods that are uh, more diverse population. Frisco is cool. Frisco's fine. So there's a this is something I had to learn recently. There's a class divide about okay. Frisco. Where do you where, where do you stand on San Fran? I'll say San Francisco or I'll say SF. Mm, not a f- not I'm not. A fan. I don't think you say San, fan San, San Fran. Fran. You don't say. Okay, not a fan of San Fran. I don't stand San Fran. Uh, but San Francisco and SF, I'll say. Yeah. We're also, you know, from San Jose, and we're not cool enough to have any nicknames for our city. I mean, can you say San Fran? You can. But, but you man, shouldn't. man, can you say San Fran? I don't stand. 
Thank you. Uh, I don't want to put a ban on San Fran. All right. All right. Are you having fun there? <laughs> uh, do you say SJ? Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you say the Zay? Yeah. We're going to make that a thing. Yeah. I like right. the Zay. Uh, now, see, SF, I'm, I'm all about. SF's fine. SF's great. It's too many nicknames. Just call him by his name. Just say San Francisco, for God's oh, sake. It could be worse. It could be Portland. Uh, what's it called? Um, Rip City. Uh, oh, yeah, PDX. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bridgetown. Yeah, too There's many so nicknames. There's so many nicknames. We get it. <laughs> we get it. You have a great craft beer scene. Got it. Yes, very good. Aren't you cool? Just don't venture like 10 miles out of Portland. Sorry, sorry, Portland. I, I, I mean those, those disrespect. Hey. Saying you venture ten miles out of Portland, you're 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 in for some heavy white supremacy territory. It's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oregon's Oregon's like a, a beautiful, amazing state, which has pockets of very, very uh, bad things. Yeah. 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 So I think we've pretty much covered the movie here. Yeah, they get on back on stage. They perform "Can't Stop the Music," the title track of it. They're gonna Samantha and Ron are getting married, despite the fact that Ron's an idiot. Uh, and uh, Jacques gets in the big circle with the group and says, here we go, we're all going to be stars. And then we get the big final number. The cast come out for what's essentially an encore uh, as the song goes on for like 10 straight minutes. It goes on so long. (laughs) I was like, oh, the movie's over, but the song will not stop. (laughs) You can't stop the music, clearly. You can't stop it, Cody. You can try, but you can't. The music's going to come and get you. It comes for us mm. all. The music comes for us all at the end. So. Damn right. There you go. The Village People's musical extravaganza. Can't stop the music. Absolutely primed for a modern reboot, modern remake. Uh, would love to see that happen. It could be an absolute blast. And even as it stands, the movie is fun. The movie is a lot of fun if you don't think about it too much and you just oh, enjoy the campiness of it. I'd watch it again. Yep. I dug it. So what I'm going to be doing here for the next month, since we are talking about popular music and rock and roll musicals and musical starring popular musical artists, I thought, why don't we take a look at the top 10 singles the week that these movies came out? Now, Can't Stop the Music came out June 20th of 1980. And of course, a lot we've already talked about, a lot has been made about the death of disco over that past year how things had completely changed. The musical landscape had changed. So, frankly, the top 10, they're going to seem a little out of touch compared to the rest of the top 10, but maybe not as much as you might think. So, Paul, I'm going to not quite quiz you, but uh, see if you can guess some of these top 10 of 1980, Billboard's Hot 100. It will be on June 21st of 1980. Starting with, uh, let's just go, I'll just give me the artist. I'll try and give you some hints. At number 10, the biggest musical artist of the 80s. He is just starting out here, but uh, absolutely the pinnacle of pop music of 1980 or of the 1980s. Be is that number 10? Yes, at number 10. Uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson. Uh, this would be off of his album, uh, Off the Wall. Uh, She's Out of My Life would be number 10 on the list. Mm. Uh, number nine. Uh, th- I see uh, people who have better musical knowledge than me might not might argue with me, but kind of a one hit wonder, but a huge seminal song of this era, especially like a very seminal song of the new wave of the, like very early in the new wave. 
has a lot to named after a popular the song title shares the same name as a popular band of the late 70s and 80s who also were pioneers in the rock pop uh, new wave sort of style might be a little harder this one mm. what if i did give me a first letter c <laughs> the name of the song you're gonna get the song c oh ca- cars cars here in my car Gary Newman's Cars is number nine on the list. At this point, it had been on the charts for 19 weeks. Uh, the next one's a little harder. It's uh, a, a this is definitely the peak of the Blue Eyed Soul movement that had sort of swept the pop charts in the late 70s into the early 80s and had become a mainstay. Um, this guy, not the biggest name of that. I'll just give you this one. I don't think you're going to. This is too hard. It'll be Robbie Dupree. Would you have even gotten that? No. Steal Away. Do you know the song Steal Away? Why don't no. we steal away? No. Oh, I know. I know that song. It's a steal away, steal away, yeah. steal away. That's the song. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And you steal away. Oh, God. Uh, this is the blue-eyed soul sort of Michael. Everybody's doing their own Michael McDonald impression at this era, and uh, yeah, that was Robbie Dupree with "Steal Away." Uh, number seven, one of the biggest songwriting legends of the seventies, uh, still going at it in nineteen eighty. Uh, had one of the biggest albums of the seventies. Uh, just recently, uh, had his oh. final tour. Oh, Elton John. It would be Elton John. Could you guess the song? Nineteen eighty. Nineteen eighty. June nineteen eighty. It was his eighth week on the chart. It's not Don't Go Breaking My Heart, is it? No, that's a little before it. It would be Little Genie was the song. Not one of his biggest hits. No, but still respectable showing at number seven. Number six, a very popular song from maybe the most popular uh, songwriter of that couple of year stretch, to be honest. Also was... uh, his home would be uh, the setting of this movie, New York City. One of the most popular songwriters to come out of that era uh, of that area. Uh, he had the number one album of the week, also this week. Oh shoot! Do you got any other hints in your, I mean, in your tour? There uh, went on tour with Elton John at one point, uh, mm. major mega tour. Uh, a guy who can be heard at piano bars throughout New York City, his songs at least. Is it Billy Joel? It's Billy Joel. It's oh, still wow. rock and roll to me at number six on the charts. Okay. Uh, the next one, number five, sort of a country rock sort of legend. Uh, or I call it country rock, but really he's a rock and roll song- singer-songwriter. The Ramblin' Man, the Ramblin' Gamblin' Man. I think that's a pretty good hint uh, yeah, if, you don't, yeah. if you don't know him. Go ahead, Cody. I don't remember his name. Bob Seger. Bob Seger. Thank Bob you. Seger, Against the Wind. A song I'm not as familiar with. but Oh, Against the Wind's a great song. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with it, to be honest. Against the Wind. I've been running against the wind. There you go. Against <laughs> the Wind. It's a great song. That's a great song. That's a great rendition, if you if you don't, if you ask me. Fantastic. Yeah, he does that, that gravelly thing where he talks like in between the melodies, which I love. Uh, at number four was a song that actually was in a movie back in November of the year prior, and yet it's still there 14 weeks later, or 14 weeks, for 14 weeks on the top 10, I should say. 
uh, a huge song from a movie. She also had another huge hit from a movie back in the 70s that was probably an even bigger hit. Cher? Not Cher. Madonna? Not Madonna. Hmm. I would say the first big hit she had was, Did you ever know that you're my hero? Is it Bette Miller? It's really? Bette Miller, The Rose. Some say love, it is a river. Uh, I'm just going to be honest. Also a, also a great Seinfeld connection. Also a good Seinfeld connection. Yeah. Paul, at number three, I'm going to be honest, I don't know this song. <laughs> I what can't give it? you any hits. Uh, Ambrosia, biggest part of me at number three on the charts. It's crazy that songs would be this high, and I just have no, I got nothing. I just got nothing. By the way, this is crazy. The top 10 for this week, almost exactly what it looked like the week prior. Like, almost every song is in the same exact spot. Um, yeah, I'm not as familiar with this song, with this band, I'll be honest. I mean, I was, mm. I was born 10 years after this chart, so forgive me. Uh, at number two, a rock and roll legend uh, with one of his biggest charting hits in a while. But it was with his band, his second band, one of the absolute legends of rock and roll. With his second band? With his second band. Is Tom Petty? Not Tom Petty. You're kind of on the right track, though. A guy who's... Uh, Tom Wings? Petty. Yes. Paul McCartney and Wings, the song Coming Up, which in a way is almost a... It's not quite Paul McCartney doing disco, but it does, definitely has like disco yeah. vibes, that song. I thought, I thought it might have been Tom Petty when he's just Tom Petty or when he's Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So yeah. I was like... And then I won't even try to... If you can get the artist, hell yeah. Uh, but this is a one-hit wonder. And you know, this whole time I've been talking about disco is dead. Well, it had one final breath in this week of 1980. So maybe there was some hope that the Village Peoples Can't Stop the Music would do well. Because this song about a certain... Oh, not a city that you would go to to get down, but, uh, you know, what what you call a smaller version of a city where you'd want to get groovy. You wouldn't call it groovy city. You'd call it. Oh, come on now. <laughs> What's another way to say groovy city? Town. Funky town. Funky town. Could you name the artist? Ah, not in my life. No. Lips Inc. Lips Inc. Yeah, Funky uh, Town was number one. Which well, then this movie had no excuse. This point. movie had no excuse. You're right. If Funky Town is the number one hit uh, the same week your disco movie comes out, come on. Funky Town, disappointing me every time I hear it at a wedding for thirty years of my life. <laughs> because you want that dun 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 dun. You just want that to keep going. No, because I hate that song. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh. Well, America yeah. clearly disagreed. See, Funky Town is is like that's where I start thinking of like the worst of disco is like that, where I'm just like, oh, or it's dear, become pastiche it. at that point. Yeah, it's just like I don't I don't like this. <laughs> I don't like this. It's crazy that it's it's dead at this point, and yet there it is, number one, Funky Town, hanging on, disco's final final gasp. Oh, man. Well, there you go. I, I hope you've enjoyed this trip down Disco's memory lane. Disco lives forever in our hearts and our minds and souls. You know how great this is, Cody? Lips Inc. started 
1979. Wow. They really knew how to jump in on the fucking arriving floor of that elevator. <laughs> like, goddamn. Yep. They hopped on the Titanic and got to the very tippy top of the boat before it started yeah. sinking. Oh, boy. Well, God bless Lip Sync and Funky Town, despite Paul's <laughs> Paul's feelings about the songs. But uh, I think that'll wrap things up for this week. Next week, we'll have uh, another rock and roll-themed musical to discuss. But until then, make sure uh, to go to our website, moviemusicalpod.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter and on Facebook at Movie Musical Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Cody Pasby. I'm at the Paul Ponte. I'm also at paulponte.com for my music and photography and podcasting stuff. And indiehandshake.com for my independent pro wrestling podcast, if that you're into that sort of thing. And until next time, I'm Cody Pasby. And I'm Paul Ponte. And we will see you down the yellow brick road.